0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Pastor. It's good to be here. It's good to be with everyone here, as Jeremy said, with the body, with the church, not in the church. Um, it's been a busy week. It's been a busy week, and I think some of you feel the busyness of this week. It's the end of the year, school's wrapping up or has wrapped up. There are graduation ceremonies to be going to. There's end of year celebrations to be taking part in. There's graduation parties. I know those of you with graduates are like running pretty hard right now. But I got to say, when I was growing up, this was my favorite time of the year. The end of school, summer's is here. I mean, summer's here. It's not officially here, but it's here. This was this was the best. This was my best. The, every this thing popping just a little bit? This was the time when, man, you know what it meant? It meant getting up in the morning, getting a bowl of cereal, turning on the TV and watching the Three Stooges for a little while. That's what it meant. Up until the point where my buddy's knocking on the door, and we're like, all right, got our bikes, head to the, place where the, tra- head to the trails where the jumps were big, and we'd be out there riding all morning long. And then we'd come home, go to his house or my house, eat lunch, and then we'd be right back at it all day long till, well, of course, the, the universal deadline for when you had to be home when the streetlights came on, right? That's when you had to be home. So all day long, we would be out there jumping and all that. And then when we got older and I was driving or they were driving, you know, when, when that started happening, we would save up a little bit of money and buy tickets to the closest amusement park. And then we'd go there. We'd be there all day long. Remember these days? These were good days. The summer was wonderful. We loved that time. Uh, the other thing. All the kids in the neighborhood. Play manhunt. Start getting, start getting a little bit dark. We'd all, we'd all be running through the street. Just crazy. But fun. And everybody, we knew everybody's parents. It was like a great time. You know what, you know what captures that time? The one word that, I, that came to mind when I was thinking about that and thinking about the summer and, and this time? Freedom. It was just freedom. You're just free to, you didn't have stuff going on. In the, no more school. Oh man, that was good. No more school. You just do what you wanted to do during the day. Freedom, and that's how freedom is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a good thing and it's supposed to lead to great experiences and it's supposed to bring joy. That's what freedom is meant to do. But we all know that freedom is also dangerous. We can abuse freedom. When we don't have things going on, that can sometimes get us in trouble. We can find some trouble. The saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop... That exists for a reason. <laughs> That's, it, 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 there's some background to that statement. This is the very tension we're going to see in our passage today. In Galatians chapter 5, this is the tension we're going to see. The Galatian church was in trouble. They had begun strong. Okay, They had begun strong having received the gospel, and they were walking in the freedom that comes from being forgiven and justified by grace through faith. But there were those who were teaching and trying to convince them that that what they really needed to be doing was following the Mosaic law. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to be keeping the ceremony, so on and so forth. And they were persuasive. People were buying into it. Many within the church were strongly tempted to be returning to the law. Paul writes in his letter in response warning them that it would be a terrible mistake it'd be a terrible mistake if they were to do that exchange their freedom for bondage to a law that could never justify them before God huge mistake because it was for freedom that Christ set us free so don't turn back it seems from from kind of the back and forth that happens in this letter that they that they had responded or Paul's opponents had responded with, the, with this question. If the church doesn't have the law to keep it in line, if it doesn't have those boundaries, then surely aren't people going to fall into all kinds of sin? Aren't they going to go off the rails? We need the boundaries. But that brings us to our text for today. Because Paul, as, direct, as he's directed by the Holy Spirit, is correcting them, saying, actually, you have it backwards. That's where we're going to get into it. So let's pick up at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and read this together. Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Father, as we read your word now, please speak to us. Please guide us into wisdom, into your truth by your Holy Spirit. Open eyes this morning to see your truth. Open our ears to hear your voice. Open our hearts to embrace it, to love it, and to obey it. Lord, we need you more than we need anything else. And so we pray that you would help us this morning to submit, submit to you. And to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For you were called to freedom, brothers. See how Paul frames it? He frames it in the context of a family. He's, he, this is family. And he's saying, God has called them... And he's called us into freedom. In verse 1 he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom in Christ, and and this is one of the, the big things, freedom in Christ is worth fighting for. It's worth standing for. It's worth any struggle that you have to experience and that I have to experience to gain that freedom, to live in that freedom, to walk freely in Christ. It's worth anything that comes our way. You were set free in Christ. And so in this context no, um, in this context, freedom in Christ is worth anything. But well, we all know freedom can lead one of two ways. We kind of touched on this a second ago. It can lead one of two ways, and Paul goes back and forth here. He actually kind of goes, ne- you know, the negative direction and then the positive direction, then he comes back to the negative direction, then he comes back to the positive direction. He goes back and forth. We're going we're gonna to combine them all and look at the negative first, and then we're going to look at the positive. We're going to see the, the dangerous path. And then we're going to look at the path that leads to real freedom. So that's how we're going to look at it. But the fundamental question, the fundamental thing that he's getting across is you have the freedom and I have the freedom to do what we want. You have the freedom to do what you want. That doesn't sound very negative, but this is the catch. When what I want is about me, when what I want is about my desires, then I'm walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. In this context, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not referring to the physical body, although it's used that way. What he's talking about is that earthly nature apart from God's influence in our life. That earthly nature that's given to sin and opposed to God. That's what he's talking about in the flesh. And we all struggle with it, all of us. When, while we tend to define freedom as getting to do whatever we want to do, Paul says the definition, that definition of freedom, that leads to disastrous results. So when freedom is selfish, it turns very ugly very fast. You have the freedom to do what you want. You have the freedom to serve yourself. When we are not submitted to the Spirit of God, freedom gives an opportunity to the flesh, to that selfish nature that we still wrestle with. Verse 15, he says that. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Selfish freedom leads to biting, devouring, consuming one another. Paul, he's saying this reduces us to the state of animals. Devouring one another when we walk in the flesh. In these moments, we're not imitating Jesus. Peter tells us who we're imitating. 1 Peter 5 8, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? To devour. That's who we're imitating. And that biting and devouring... See, Satan is trying to destroy all that God loves. That's what he wants to do. And when we are biting and devouring one another, because we're looking out for me, I'm looking out for me, and you're looking out for you, then we're doing Satan's work for him. In verses 19 through 21, he begins to list this out. He says, The works of the flesh are evident. Now this list is not exhaustive. Like, this isn't all of them. But what it does is it it paints a picture for us. It paints a picture at what living according to the flesh, living according to what I want, can, can and does look like. And so, don't think of it as, these are all the works of the flesh. Think of it as, Paul is painting a picture so we get an idea, so that when we see it happening in us and in one another, we can recognize it and respond. So, let's just quickly go through it. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Kind of, kind of three that go into a category of, of that feeding ourselves, our own fleshly appetites. sexual immorality. That's just, that's pornea. That's any sexual sin. Meaning any sexual relations outside of the covenant of marriage. God's good design for creation, marriage, between one woman, one man for a lifetime. That is the only context in which a sexual relationship is not sin. That's not a popular message right now. But it's the truth. And when we give in to that, it leads to impurity. Impurity. And that's that uncleanliness, that moral uncleanliness that's used to describe the lust behind the sexual sin. Jesus took sexual sin from an action, adultery is what he used specifically, but he took sexual sin from an action to a heart issue. He said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so he took it to a heart issue. And that just builds on that with sensuality. And that's letting whatever desires, senses, right? Taste, touch, all that stuff. Letting whatever you desire have, letting that drive you. That that is what moves you. He goes on to idolatry, right? He takes it from uh, sins of the flesh in that way to sins towards God. And And idolatry is making gods of what's not God. It's very simple. Idolatry is the root of all the sin. Because ultimately what we're saying is that I'm a better judge of what I can and should do than God is. And so, we at that point become our own idols. I'm God. I get to decide what is right and wrong. I get to decide what I want to do. And then there's sorcery. And you look at that, and that's magical arts, always tied to some false god. But it's sort of a broader thing, because the word is pharmakeia, pharmacy, drugs. So it was like kind of what was going on is people were taking drugs to enter an altered state of mind to gain some sort of secret knowledge, right? They were trying to get that, that, that secret sauce to life. Or gain power and control over something else. Boil it down, basically it's trying to take the power and authority that that only God holds, that only God has, and take it for yourself. That's what we're talking about. And then he gets into interpersonal issues, enmity, hostility towards one another. This directly opposes the works of Jesus. And we all know what that feels like. If you've been on social media for two seconds, you know what hostility looks like. And we've probably experienced it to some degree among us. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The work of Jesus, and, and in that context, he was talking about the Jew-Gentile division that was within the church. Replace, bring it into today's terms and think of any division, anything that causes division within the church, I think you can probably think of one or two. And he says, Jesus has broken down that wall. He makes us a family. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a family, united, one body, working together, building one another up. And when we give into that enmity, we do Satan's work for him. And that leads to strife, the arguing and rivalry between one another. Add into that jealousy, which is that desire to have something that someone else has, right? That, that terrible uh, condition of comparison. Again, think social media. Like, you can't help but compare ourselves with one another. And then you see, oh man, they've got this and I want that. Fits of anger. That's 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 a panting air. You ever seen a kid so mad that they're just breathing hard? Just like, <sighs> or have you ever been at that place? Right? That's what it's talking about. That anger that just like simmers and simmers and builds until it just explodes. It's a fit of anger. And I mean, come on, let's be honest. Some of us struggle with a temper. We know what this feels like. Rivalries, it's a political term, resorting to the lowest common denominator to gain an edge in acceptance or approval over someone else. In other words, I'm trying to get get the people to be on my side. I want the people on my side. And that leads to dissensions, which means if I'm getting people on my side, then I've got a problem with this person over here. So me and them, there's dissension between us. And then when you start getting all the people on your side, there's divisions. Now you've got factions within the church. You're splitting the church. And there's envy, which is very close to jealousy, except it adds one little thing. You can be jealous of someone and not be mad or resent the fact that they have what you don't have. Envy resents that they have it. Right? I want that. But it's not just, I want that. If I don't get it, I don't want you to have it either. Then he goes on to these issues of self-control, drunkenness. You know where as the laws are changing and as it becomes more acceptable, drugs and whatnot, this is going to be more of an issue. Their issue was wine and strong drink so it's drunkenness but it's not sober is what he's talking about and then then orgies now i understand you probably have a picture of what that is in your head you probably have an idea of what that is when they talk in the biblical context it's actually broader a broader term than that what it was was feasts that involved excessive drinking, going late, late into the night in the early hours of the morning. It sometimes spill out into the streets and just be this huge, raucous festival, often celebrating the god of wine, Bacchus, and that kind of thing. It was just this thing that that was just out of control, gluttony, drinking, just whatever. And obviously you can see how that leads into sexual immorality, uh, impurity, sensuality, and all that you know which narrows into the kind of how we think of that word but it was a broader thing and so if you take that broader definition and apply it to our context today this is this is this is a problem this is very real and then he just gives us the catch all things like these everything like this is a work of the flesh paul wraps up this list with a sober warning those who do such things, practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the wake up call for the Galatians and for us as well. If this is what our life looks like, now this isn't, now hear me on this. If you stumble and fall, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, if you fall into sin, it, that doesn't, put, this is a practice. This is what the course of someone's life looks like. That word, it's an ongoing thing. If this, is what, if this is how you're living, if these describe your life, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry, but you're not. Everyone stumbles. Everyone's tempted to go another way. Everyone has that desire at times to serve themselves, and everyone gives in at times. So that's not what I'm saying. If you give into this that you've lost yourself, no, nothing like that. This is the work of Jesus, not ours, right? Your salvation is secure, but understand he's trying to wake them up and saying, if this is your life, you better take some serious stock. If, if, if this is part of someone's practice, they're not part of God's kingdom. Note in everything in this list, it's about me. It's all about indulging in what I want, panting over what I don't have, reacting badly to what I can't control, namely other people. It's, it's all about me. And when, it's all, when it, it's all about me, and for you it's all about you, there's going to be problems. You can't get away with it. So we're left with a question. What does it mean to be submitted to God? To walk by the Spirit? Yes, we obey Him. But getting practical, later on today, when I'm at home with my family, or out with friends, or just hanging out by myself, how do I submit myself to the Spirit of God? How do we do that? What does that look like practically? Paul is so specific with the Galatians. He says, this is how you live it out. Through love, serve one another. Through love, Serve one another. And that brings us to the second option. You have the freedom to serve one another in love. You have the freedom to serve yourself. You have the freedom to serve one another in love. In God's kingdom, we are most free when we serve one another. Verse 14, going back there. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of ironic. It's kind of ironic. When we are free from the works of the law, which can never justify us, and we can never satisfy that law, when we are free from that, that is when we are free to then serve one another in love. And in doing that, we actually fulfill the law. It's ironic how how that works, isn't it? When we're free from the law, we can serve one another in love, and then we actually fulfill it verse 16, talks about walking by this, But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Submit yourself to God. How do we live that out? We love people by serving them. It puts us in the role of a servant. That word is slave. It's the same word that Paul uses of himself when he says, I'm a slave of Christ. Doulas. Serve one another. Be a bond servant. Be a slave. We are slaves of Christ... And we love him by loving one another, which is expressed by serving one another as bond servants fulfilling the Lord's calling. That's what he has called us to do. And so that's how we love. We serve. In verse 18, he says, "Those who are led by the spirit are not under the law." This is where Paul's opponents had it backwards. They thought that if we were not under the law, we would live by the flesh. They thought we had to have those boundaries, or else we would go off the rails. And what he says is, what he says is, is that uh, that if we live by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Without the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the law actually does the opposite. It doesn't keep us on track. It exposes us. It exposes us. It shows us all of our sin. And Paul said that's a good thing. And yet it also stirs it up. It kind of stirs up that desire to rebel. In Romans 7 verses 5 through 6 he says this, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law. Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He's just saying what we've already said. When we're free from the law, we're then free to love one another, serve one another in love, which in actually, in the end, fulfills the law. So when we're no longer under the law, but submitted to and led by the Holy Spirit, that's when the Spirit works and produces His fruit in our lives. Notice that these these are not works. If you read through this list, none of them are a work. We're not given a list of tasks to work on to get better at. Our one task is this, submit to and walk in step with the Holy Spirit. That's our one task. Submit to God. Submit and walk with the, walk in line with the Holy Spirit. And, the, and He will cause the fruit to blossom. The fruit of the Spirit looks, smells, and tastes like this. There's only one fruit. Not a plural. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's one fruit, but it has this description. If you were to try and describe how it looks, smells, and tastes, it looks like this. It looks like love. The kind of love God has shown us in Jesus, that agape love. That, that love... That sacrifices for someone else expecting nothing in return, the love that was demonstrated when God, when God sent his only son, that love that was demonstrated when Christ let himself be nailed to a cross, that love it looks like joy it 's the rejoicing that 's rooted in our future hope, even even when the present circumstances are bad. We look back to the cross. We look back to the resurrection because those secure the promises of what's to come. And we look forward to those and we can rejoice in that, in that guarantee, in those promises because of what God has done. It looks like peace, internal rest, harmony with one another. It looks like patience, bearing with one another, being slow to anger like our Lord is slow to anger. It smells and tastes like kindness. Having a disposition that recognizes others as valuable and treating them as such. And that all kindness is? You're valuable. You matter. I'm going to treat you like that truth. Goodness, working for the benefit of others with an upright heart that loves God. Faithfulness, tastes like someone who's reliable. Their yes is yes and their no is no. Gentleness. Tenderness in the midst of strength and authority. Jesus was not gentle with others because he was weak. He was gentle with others because he loved them. The lion is not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. Self-control This is a direct answer to the works of the flesh. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be free from and to master those selfish desires. Now this is a battle and we're about to get into that. But the Holy Spirit gives us what we need to overcome. And there is no law against such things. In fact, this is what it looks like to fulfill the law. This was the heart of... This is the heart that we have as we walk in the Spirit and serve one another. This is what our service should look like. It should look like love. It should should look joyful. It should look like patience towards one another. Gentle with one another. Kind towards one another. As we serve one another and try and build one another up. This is what it looks like. But walking by the Spirit is an ongoing battle. It is an ongoing battle. In verse 24 and 25, it is evidence also that we belong to Christ. It's evidence that we belong to Christ. This is sort of the answer to to the works of the flesh and all who practice such things uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, those those who who demonstrate these, it's the evidence that we belong to Christ. But man, this is a battle. We are in a battle. Do you realize that? Yeah. We are in a battle. Every day. In 16 and 17, it says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now that is a... That to keep you from doing the things that you want to do, that's not a very specific statement. It's just sort of, they're against one another and they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So that goes both ways. That goes both ways. When we do walk by the Spirit, we will not do what we want to do, we won't give into the flesh. We have power to overcome, we will be tempted. And this is going back to that whole idea of of a practice and whatnot. We will be tempted. We will want to give in to our selfish desires. But every believer has the Holy Spirit in them. And every believer has what they need to overcome. We do not turn our freedom into an opportunity of the flesh. But through love we serve one another. Choose to serve in love. That is how we battle the flesh. We don't battle the flesh by by any other means we submit to God and we serve one another that's how we go to war we don't go to war with people we go to war with our flesh and we go to war with the enemy the real enemy but we have not yet arrived there will be times we fail there will be times when we will not walk by the spirit we might want to but we give in. You see, they fight against one another to keep you from doing the things we want to do. When you find yourself here, when you've fallen, when you've stumbled, when you failed, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Turn from that and run to him repent. That's repentance. We serve a God who is slow to anger and full of grace and mercy. Run to him. He's calling us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Run to him. He won't let sin go unpunished, but he's faithful and First John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our God. Faithful. Merciful. Just patient. And I'm gonna leave you with this. Do not believe the lie. Don't believe the lie the lie that originates all the way back to the garden and has perpetuated all the way through till now that we all struggle with, that we all face every day, and that's this, the lie that God is holding something back from you that's good. That's the lie. We think that if we choose to not sin if we choose this other path that's somehow outside of what God has revealed as His good design, His good will, that we're missing out. Don't believe the lie. It may seem like a sacrifice to be humbled in this way because service, service requires humility. It requires humility. It may feel like we're giving up happiness to let go of something we want in order to serve someone else. You may feel like you're giving up something when you're choosing to meet with someone regularly, to invest in them, to spend time with them and help them grow in their faith. It may feel like a sacrifice if you're mowing someone's yard because they need their yard mowed. When you help someone with homework and spend time with them and help them try and get their arms around some concepts that, man, is just not coming easy. We may miss out on something to serve the body, You may miss out on a little sleep if you show up here early and set up chairs. Or hosting a small group in your home. Or organizing meals for someone who's hurting. Let me assure you, anything you might give up in the short term, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Any pleasure we find on this earth, any joy we experience, is just a fraction of what we will experience in God for all of eternity. Don't believe the lie that God is ho- holding something back from you that's good. God does not hold back good. If there is something that seems good now and he says, no, not now, maybe not ever, don't do that, there's something so much better that he wants you to have. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about the greater joy that is in God himself. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. A more current example of this anticipation, this desire for God above everything else, is Tim Keller, who just recently died of cancer. His son posted this shortly before Tim died. Writing of his father, he said this. In prayer, he said two nights ago, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family who loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. I say amen to that. Amen to that. It is no loss to die to self and through, through love serve one another. It is how we overcome the flesh and live in freedom and live in fullness of life God has given us through Jesus. That's how we do it. It is no loss. Let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of who you are. So grateful. And we confess, Lord, that we get so caught up, so caught up in in the stuff of this world. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to love you above all things. And in loving you to serve one another. Because the two greatest commandments love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love one another as yourself. All the law hangs on these. And Lord, I pray specifically now for those in here who don't know that love. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Show them how good you are. Call them into a relationship. Open eyes today to the truth of your gospel. To the truth of our need to be forgiven for all of our sins. Why? Why do we need to be forgiven of our sins? So that we can be with you, Lord. You are the greatest good of all. Lord, as we continue through our day, as we pursue you this week, Lord, help us to do it with hearts that are full of love and joy and peace, patience. Father, grow your fruit in us. We desire you above all things. And if that is not truly our desire, make it our desire. Shape us to be more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.